<laughs> those were those were really interesting days back then. I can just tell you that uh, I had a lot of fun. That was extended care nursing home. I'll never forget all the things that happened to me at extended care nursing home. Uh, we had a guy that we would bring over, uh, a guy named Rayford Wheeler, who loved to lead singing and couldn't do it, uh, but he thought he could, and it was good. Uh, his hand had a mind of its own. He knew you're supposed to move his hand when he when he got up to speak, so or got up to lead singing. So he would do. There's a church in the valley by the wild. That was the way he led singing. But his favorite song was, uh, you know, he got the whole world in his hands, and that turned out to be aerobics for the people of that week. One of the things we found at Exindicare, and this has nothing to do with my talk, but one of the things we found out at Exindicare is that every week we started getting, we got more and more people until everybody except the folks who were bedridden were in there. I mean, just everybody came. And I asked the director, I said, why is it? Because I know mentally a lot of them have no idea what I'm talking about. Why are they coming every week? He said, because it's the only hug they get. And everybody got a hug who came, and so they came to get a hug, which by the way, there's a message in that that I, I think might be, might be pretty helpful. Uh, I have a cosmic connection with Dan Winkler that I can't explain. I don't know what it is. He preached just before I moved to Creve Hall. He was the preacher at Creve Hall. I can't tell you how many times in the last 18 years Dan has had to cancel something and they called me and asked me to take Dan's place. Uh, they did it here. I, I will tell you that I was sitting in my office on a Thursday several years ago when I got a call from Tim Lewis at the North MacArthur Congregation in Oklahoma City, and he said, Bill, we need you to get a plane ticket and come up here and be our keynote speaker for the opening address for Affirming the Faith Seminar tomorrow night. I said, tomorrow night? And he said, yes, and here's your topic. And uh, he said, we'll cover your expenses, just get your ticket, get a car, get up here. We just need you here tomorrow night about 7 o'clock. So I did. Well, I showed up at about 6 o'clock. The thing was supposed to start off at 7. So I'm walking around, hadn't been in the building before. I'm looking around the auditorium. And this couple comes up with a concerned look on their face. And, and I said, can I help you? And they said, yes, we're looking for Dan Winkler. And I said, well, I'm, I'm really sorry, but Dan had a conflict. And so he's not going to be able to, to be here this evening. I said, oh, no. We have driven 125 miles just to hear Dan Winkler. What yo-yo did they get to take his place? And I said, me. I didn't see them for the rest of the night. I have no idea. But I'm the yo-yo that keeps getting sent to take Dan's place. I don't know. That just happens. But I'm, I'm very thankful. We're going to talk about prayer in the life of leadership and ministry for a minute. And since the whole thing starts in James, we need to go back to James and look at James chapter 5. I begin at verse 13 where he talks about prayer in three dimensions. And I'm not going to talk about that in a lot of detail, but I am going to talk about some other things that I think are really important. Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if you think that's talking just about salvation of the, of the Spirit, it's not, because the very next thing that he says is, and if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And then in verse 16, confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice three dimensions of prayer. And if you're in leadership, you can't neglect any one of these dimensions of prayer. One of them is 
praying for yourself. Is anyone sick? Let him pray. Let me just tell you that you cannot neglect your prayer life for yourself if you're a leader of the Lord's church. You can lose your soul doing church work. I think anybody that's done it for any length of time knows that. Anybody in the ministry that's had to deal with a copier knows that. Uh, I mean, I'm just telling you, you can lose your soul doing church work. So don't forget to pray for yourself. The second one is that unique and amazing thing where he says, if anybody's sick, let him call for the elder of the church. And I love, I really love what Kirk said a few moments ago, which is, when they are sick, do they call you? I, I want to tell you what generally happens. When they are sick, who do they expect to come by? It's the preacher, right? They expect the preacher to come by. They don't expect the elders to come by. Why? Because they don't often come by. But, but here's somebody who's sick and obviously can't be in the assembly because he calls for the elders of the church. They have to go to him, okay? He calls for the elders of the church, and what do they do? It says they pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it says, and the prayer of faith, not the elders, but the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. What in the world is that talking about? Can I just tell you, from my perspective, I think this relates to the miraculous age of the church, where they actually had the ability at times to do that, and so I, I take that. But I think there's a general principle here that's really important, and that is be available to people when they're in their suffering. When they're going through the worst time, be available to those people at all times. And, and the other thing is, what if somebody calls you? You're an elder in the church. Somebody calls you and asks, can you come by and anoint me with oil and pray with me? What would you do? Can I just tell you, I've worked with a number of elderships. Some of them absolutely refuse, and two have said, okay. And they come and they anoint them with oil and they pray. Why? Because they said, that's what it says to do. So we're going to do it, whether it does anything for you or not. And I think it's smart, by the way, uh, to go ahead and just do it. Anoint them with oil. Put a little olive oil on them. Pray over them and see and, and, and let God do. Because he doesn't say that they're necessarily going to be physically healed. He says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. I want to tell you that my brother-in-law, Russell Cook, was preaching at the West End Congregation in Knoxville where he was the minister one day when suddenly he couldn't read his notes and he couldn't get the next word out and he couldn't figure out what was going on. And he said, I'm going to have to get down. Somebody else needs to finish this. And we took him immediately, or his family did immediately, to the emergency room. He had a glioblastoma multiforme, which is the worst kind of brain cancer you can get. It's absolutely incurable. And I want to tell you that two different elderships came and anointed him with oil and prayed over him. And he was made well. He died. Okay? He no longer has brain cancer. It may not be in this life. It may be in the next. But guess what? The Lord will raise him up. Just exactly like he said. Uh, and so there's some real power in that. So don't be afraid to pray for people. And, and I'll say more about this in a minute. But can I just tell you, if somebody calls and asks you to pray for them, don't just say, oh, Lord, bless them. I'm sick and tired of prayers that are so generic. You have no idea if God answered them or not. We're afraid that if we pray specifically and God says no, that people will lose their confidence in prayer. But that's exactly what you have to do is pray specifically. So I'll talk about that more in just a minute. And the third is just praying for other people. 
you know, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Can I just tell you, prayer is the language of heaven. And because of prayer, you find that things change. God changes things directly because of prayer. Uh, he built it into the universe. And we'll talk about that even more in just a few moments. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How much prayer comes out of your mouth? Okay? How much prayer comes out of your mouth? It depends on what's in your heart. If heaven's in your heart, prayer comes out of your mouth. Okay? If you want to be the leader that God needs, that has to come out. It has to come out. And I think about all the things that Jesus said about prayer in Matthew. I think about that early church in Acts chapter 4. And just let me read you a, a few of them. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. If you're an elder, I had an elder come to me, I was just mentioning a few minutes ago, who when he first became an elder, the very first meeting, he said to myself and all the rest of the elders, how do I keep from getting puffed up with pride? He said, I know that the Bible says if you're a novice, you'll get puffed up with pride. He said, I'm not sure if I'm a novice really or not. How do I keep from being puffed up with pride? I said, give yourself a month and after the brethren beat you up enough, you won't have any more pride left. That's what's going to happen to you. But, but I want to say this. If you're not a praying person, there are going to be days that you would rather slaughter the sheep than lead the sheep. Okay? Prayer keeps you in the right frame of mind when it comes to the people who are around you. Uh, I love this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, enter into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your fathers in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You want to be a great leader? Pray privately. Pray Pray just yourself. I mean, just pray just for yourself. Andy Kramer, one of the ministers that uh, is there at the congregation with us, he has a story that he tells about his dad. His dad was a teenager and didn't really think about being too faithful to the church at the time. And he said one night he was supposed to go down to the basement and get something. And he said as he started down the stairs that he heard his dad's voice. And his dad was on his knees crying and praying for Marlon Conley. Praying that God would hold on to him and not let him go. He said, it changed my life. He said, that changed my life. Make a private prayer. Let God do something pretty amazing. The other thing is, after this manner pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, Ray Frizzell was one of the great elders that I had the opportunity to work with. He was in the eldership at Creve Hall when I first came. He's since passed away. I can remember that not long after I got there, the elders started talking about wrestling with alligators. Uh, there were some real problems that families had in that church. Some of them had already gotten lawyered up and all sorts of things were going on as far as, as, far as families coming apart. And there was a day that everybody was just down. I mean, all the eldership was just it was like gloom and doom and a cloud hung over the room. I'll never forget Ray. He said, brethren, you need to remember something. This is not our church. This is the Lord's church. And if we'll turn ourselves over to the Lord, 
He'll take care of his church. What we need to do right now is pray. And that's what they did. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world when you remember who's really in charge. I like in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, when Jesus came in to talk about the temple, his description is something from Isaiah 56, verse 7, but, it, but it's really important. He says, my father's house shall be called the house of prayer. Okay? This church that God has given us the privilege of being a part of is a house of prayer. Let it be the language of our church, not just something we tack on at the end of a class or, or make sure at the first of the class after we mention who all the sick are that we throw in a prayer. I'm talking about that this is a place of prayer. Uh, you want to revolutionize the church. How about having 24 hours of prayer and uh, just say, okay, we, we're going to have this room open and our elders are going to be here. And for the next 24 straight hours, day and night, Somebody's going to be right here at the building praying. And if you can't be here, get on with the Zoom and pray with us. Because we're going to pray around the clock. That's what we're going to do. And we want you praying with us. And people do. It changes things when that happens. I love in the early church in Acts chapter 4, the apostles were threatened and sent away and told no longer to preach. And they went and found their brethren. And, and they began to pray. Remember, the church in Acts chapter 4 begins to pray. And they didn't pray like we pray, which is, oh, Lord, they're picking on us. Please help us. They didn't do that. What they did instead was say, Lord, you remember how you said the nations would rage against you and against your anointed? Well, they're doing it. So here's what we want you to do. Give us boldness. Help us to speak more clearly, more loudly, more often than we've ever done before. And the whole house shook, and they were filled with the Spirit, and they went out and they spoke boldly. The church needs that in prayer. Well, let me go back to, to James, and I want you to notice what he has to say as an illustration at the end. He says, if you, he, he said, if you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, let people pray. And then confess your faults and pray for each other. Make sure you do that. And, and how effective is that going to be? Well, when he gets to verses 17 and 18, he illustrates the idea of prayer with one of the most astounding things that James ever says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. That doesn't seem right to me. I mean, in Acts chapter 17, he bursts on the scene and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then there's just all these amazing things that happen to it. You know, he goes up on Mount Carmel. He has fire rain down from heaven and not only just take up the sacrifice, but eat up the stones and leave a burnt hole in the ground when he gets through. And then in, in 2 Kings chapter 1, he's there and King Ahaziah decides that he doesn't like what, what uh, Elijah has said. So he sends out his captain with his 50 men. And he says, the king says, come. And he says, well, if I'm a man of God, fire's going to rain down from heaven. And 51 crispy Israelites are on the ground. When he gets done, fire has killed them all. So Ahaziah sends another group. And they go out, captain with his 50 men. And he said, the king says, come. And uh, he says, if I'm a man of God, then fire's going to come down. And, and it does. And now there's 102 dead Israelites all cooked right in front of him. And so Ahaziah sends a third group. And this guy gets on his knees and says, please don't kill us. We've got family. Can you just come with me? I promise I won't hurt you. Please come. And God says, go with him. Okay. When I think about Elijah, that's who I think of. I think about a guy who has fire coming out of his fingers. I mean, there is just nobody like Elijah of all the prophets of the Old Testament. 
Elijah is clearly the greatest non-literary prophet there is. He didn't write anything. But he is amazing in, in what he does. And yet, when you look at this, he says, but Elijah was just like us. That what made Elijah special was not that he had this internal power that just... What made Elijah special was that he prayed. That's what he's saying. Listen, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He said he wasn't particularly different than you and me. But he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, when you go over to that story, and I know that tonight you're going to hear that story again, so I don't want to get into everything that he had, but go over to 1 Kings chapter 18 and listen to verses 41 to 45. You remember that Elijah has just has just confronted the 450 prophets of Baal. They've yelled and screamed and lost, and then he takes them down to the creek at the bottom of the mountain, and he slaughters them. And then he looks at Ahab, and he says, Go up and eat and drink, for there's the sound of the abundance of rain. Notice it hadn't rained for three and a half years. And Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went and looked and said, There's nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. And then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There's a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. That's the story that Elijah is talking about, that James is talking about when it comes to Elijah. And I want to tell you that while Neil will probably tell you all of these things a little bit later tonight, you want to know how prayer works in the life of, of a person. There's seven things about prayer right here that you need to know. Okay, Seven things about prayer that will change your life. And we talked about some of them when we looked at the words of Jesus. Look at verses 41 and 42 again. Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there's the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He's confronted all these people, but now he goes to be by himself. If you want a powerful prayer life, then you're going to have to remove yourself. You're going to have to withdraw yourself from some people. Or as Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who sees in secret. And Jesus, who taught us to do that, did it himself. In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, and particularly verse 16, after he'd healed all the multitudes, it says he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. I'm not sure that you can pray very well with an iPhone. I'm not sure that you can pray really well with a television. I'm not sure you can do it really well with a computer. We have so many beeps and buzzes and signals and notifications that sometimes you just need to withdraw from all that. And by the way, you'll have withdrawal symptoms, but you just need to withdraw from all of that and it's just you and God, no, nothing else, nothing else. There's a, a preacher that I really like in Brackettville, Texas. The, the town has about 300 people in it and there's 150 of them that are members of the church. They're just an amazing 
amazing group of people there. But he told a story one day that I really liked. He talked about his daughter when she was three years old, kept wandering off every store they went into. And so he decided to teach her a lesson. They went to the grocery store, and he decided he wouldn't go after her. That when she wandered off, he would let her keep an eye on her. And then when she really got scared, he would say, see, you need to stay with me. And he said, sure enough, she wandered off. And I watched her, let her go, didn't say anything. And she got to about her third aisle in the grocery store. And her lips started quivering because she realized suddenly she didn't know where her daddy was. And she was lost. He said, but just at that moment, she saw one of these bins with brightly colored rubber balls. And she forgot all about being lost. She started playing with the balls. He said, I didn't get a chance to teach her anything. Satan will put those brightly covered balls in front of you all the time. Withdraw. Get to someplace quiet. And let it be between you and him. And by the way, it's not just externally withdraw, but the idea is to get still. Do you remember? Be still and know that I am God. That's Psalm 46, verse 10. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When the children of Israel are worried about the, the army that's coming right behind them and the Red Sea that's in front of them, then he says, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Withdraw. In the life of every leader, there is a time of solitude. Sometimes being a leader is lonely. I'll just tell you, sometimes it's really lonely. But sometimes it just needs to be just you and God, and that's not lonely at all. That's the time just you and God. Here's a second thing. It says in verse 42 that Elijah bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. That's a different Elijah than I saw just earlier in the same chapter. Earlier in the chapter, he says to these guys, hey, maybe your God took a vacation. Or maybe you need to yell a little bit louder. Maybe, maybe he's asleep. Wake him up. You know, he is absolutely brash when he's out there. And then he says, okay, God, do what you said you would do. And boom, and everybody says, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And he's got all this around him and everything else. And, and Elijah, by the way, do you know what Elijah means? The name means the Lord, he is God. So what are they saying? They're saying the Lord, he is God. Elijah, okay? His name's being proclaimed. But now he's up in front of God and it's just him and God and he puts his face between his knees. Why? Because God's not interested in his victory. And God's not interested in his resume. God knows Elijah and Elijah knows it. And so what does he do when he gets before God? He doesn't talk about all the stuff that he just did, all the accomplishments that he's made. He's like, he's like Abraham when he says, I'm only dust and ashes. Okay, that's Genesis 18, 27. People tend to hide their face in front of angels. But I found it interesting in Isaiah chapter 6 that the seraphim hid their face from God. Uh, the glory of them. Uh, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Here's another thing. that I, If you're going to be praying, claim God's word. Back in verse 1 of chapter 18, God said... I will send rain. And so he says, God, you promised it. Now, I want you to give it. That's what he's doing here. He's asking God to do what God has already promised. Do you remember James chapter 4, verse 2? And, and I'll talk about this in the next point in a minute as well. He said, you do not have because you do not ask. Ask. 
Okay? Just ask. Don't be afraid to ask. Okay? Here's the fourth thing. When he did ask, he is specific. He's not generic. He's definite with what he asks. I am so tired. I've already said it, but I am so tired of nice prayers. Okay? I, it really bugs me that people pray nice prayers. Uh, nice prayers that say, Lord, help help those people who are sick to be able to get well instead of praying for Aunt Susie's lumbago or whatever it is that she has, okay? I don't even know what lumbago is, but I'm just saying. What I'm telling you is get really specific, okay? Get really specific. Don't be afraid to be specific when you pray to God. And, and, and I guess what I mean by that is if you have cancer, how about praying that God will take the cancer away? Okay? Somebody says, but yeah, but that's, uh, you know, that's, what if he doesn't do it? Well, he can say no if he wants to. He's God. He can say whatever he wants to. But you know what he wants to hear from you? He wants to hear what's on your heart. I don't know if you've read the Psalms like this or not, but you need to read the Psalms and find out what the Psalmists say. There are times they say, Lord, take your hand out of your robe, which would be the same thing that you and me say, Lord, but you get your hands out of your pockets. They say that in the Psalms. Okay, in the Psalms, they say, wake up to God. They say that to God. Wake up. And God doesn't condemn them for saying it. He has them write it in a book, and they sing it on Saturday. Can you imagine that if we started singing on Sunday morning, oh, God, get your hands out of your pockets. Oh, God, please wake up. We feel really weird about it. And yet the early church, you know why? Because that is real. Okay? That's real. God is never going to condemn anybody who does something that's real. Do you remember back in the book of Genesis, you have Jacob and he's coming back into the land that he's left behind. And his brother is coming to meet him and he's afraid he's going to try to kill him. And so he stays on the other side of the brook Jabbok. And, and this God shows up really, an angel of the Lord shows up and what does he do he wrestles with him all night and when it gets ready to be daylight he says let me go and he says not till you bless me and even when he's touched in the thigh so that he's crippled for the rest of his life he still won't let go okay and then in the end what does he say your name is israel for you have wrestled with god and prevailed can I tell you something about a relationship with God? You're going to have to wrestle. It's not easy. It wouldn't have been easy being a disciple of Jesus. There were times he really... You need to be real with God. You need to tell him what you want, okay? He always has the right to say no. But tell him what you want, okay? Uh, here's the way I tend to pray when somebody asks me to pray that they will be healed of cancer or whatever the disease is that they have. That, Lord, I know you have a will. And I know that that will is important. But we also have a will. And what we want is for them to be healed. What we want is for them to be fully among us again so that they have years left in service to you. That is our will. Do what you will, but that's our will. I'm telling you, it's a powerful kind of prayer. Don't be afraid to do that. Here's the next thing. It tells us in 517 that he prayed fervently that, he might, that it might not rain. Um, 
and it didn't rain. He prayed fervently. Okay, uh, that doesn't mean he yelled and screamed necessarily, although Jesus did. Do you remember what it says in Hebrews chapter five, verse seven, when he had vehement cries to him who was able to save him from death? That means he screamed. Uh, when you see those pictures of Jesus with his hand on a rock and a ring of halo around his head, that's not what he was doing. Okay, Jesus was screaming to God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And God heard him. Okay, don't be afraid to pray fervently. And by the way, expect something to happen. Expect God is actually going to answer it. In the sixth place, Elijah was watchful. He told his servant, go up and look to the sea. Chapter 18, verse 43. I love what David says in Psalm 135 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning. More than watchman for the morning. Or Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, and watch thereunto with thanksgiving. One more thing, he persevered. You remember that he persevered so that he sent him up after he prayed the first time, nothing happened. Second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, sixth time, nothing happened. He keeps praying. What do you do when God doesn't seem to be answering your prayer? Well, Jesus says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he told the story in Luke chapter 18 of an unrighteous judge and a widow who needed to be avenged. And what did he do? She kept coming. And he said, I don't fear God or regard man, but she's wearing me out. I'm going to do something. He said, you keep praying. It seems counterintuitive, but when prayer doesn't seem to work, pray more. Keep praying praying. Be persistent. Don't ever give up. Be persistent. Can I make one more thing? And I just want you to, I want you to think about this one for just a moment. There is a dilemma that I think a lot of people who think deeply have about prayer. Okay? I, I, I run across it in one form or another all the time. We have this view that if I pray for something, and it's the will of God, then God would have done it whether I prayed or not. If I pray for something and it's not the will of God, then God's not going to do it even if I pray. Therefore, why pray? Okay, have you ever run through this, this kind of scenario in your head? I think all of us do. But here's the problem. It's a misunderstanding of the will of God. God's will is not always done. I want you to think about that. What does the Bible say in 1 Timothy chapter 2? God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wills that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that most people are going to be lost down that broad way that leads to destruction. What does that mean? It means that God wills and it doesn't always happen. Okay? God has a will for your life. Has, has your, his will always been done in your life? I mean, you think about it. Have you always followed the will of God in your life, even though he has a will for your life? Of course not. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we still sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. We still sin. What does that mean? It means that God's will is not always done. Okay? This is really important. When you think about the will of God, I want you to think about it from two perspectives. On the one side, there's the eternal will of God. And the eternal will of God will be done. Okay, God will have a people. 
his church and his people will be saved. There will be a heaven, there will be a judgment, and people will answer for what they've done, whether it's good or bad. And you can't change that. I'm just telling you, that's going to happen. And nothing that you can do can change that at all. But God built into the fabric of our universe that prayer changes things. Why in the world did Abraham say, if there's 50, if there's 40, if there's 30. And why did God say, yeah, if there is, I'll do it. Okay? Why? Because he wants that. Okay? He wants that. And how many times do you see God say, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to wipe out that entire nation. I'm going to start with you. And I'm going to build a whole new nation starting with you. Remember, God actually says that. Is God lying? No, he's not. That's what he's going to do. He's going to kill all the Israelites and start all over with Moses. And here's what Moses says, which I really love. And I think about how amazing this is. It's the same thing that Paul says later, pretty much. He says, if you're going to block somebody out, block me out of your book. But your name is so important that the nations all around will believe that you brought them into the wilderness and you couldn't bring them out. And your name will be abused among the peoples of the world. For your name's sake, kill me, spare them. And God spared them. God changed his mind. Okay? Do you remember when the Bible says it repented God that he made man? Do you remember that? God changed his mind. Okay? The will of God is not always done. But what is it that is the framework through which the will of God works in our immediate circumstance? Prayer. Through prayer, God changes things. God says, I'm going to send rain. But you know why he's going to send rain? Because he knows Elijah's going to pray for it. Okay? The means by which the rain came, and that's what it says, he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and it didn't rain for three years and six months, and he prayed, and the rain came. Do you remember? That's what it says. God is going to do it because he's going to pray. Okay? God is going to change our times because we are going to pray for it. And if we're not praying for it, don't expect that access to come. Am I making sense here? Okay, there is nothing more valuable for you to do for the congregation where you serve than to pray. Pray for each other. Pray for yourself. Pray for the sick. Pray for the people all around you. And I love that they prayed, your will be done, Jesus says. This is the way you pray, on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you have a purpose for our time. Pray. Pray and see what difference that makes. It will give you the boldness that the early church had in Acts chapter 4 when they went out and they spoke boldly. I am scared to death in a lot of ways for our nation right now. We have lost our moorings. We're killing each other every week now uh, in mass shootings. Uh, We don't know what a man or a woman is anymore. We can't even say that anymore. Uh, We've forgotten who we are. 
The rest of the world is realigning, as I think you probably know. Saudi Arabia is now aligned with China and Russia, not with us. You probably know. They believe that we've lost our way too. And that the guidance of the world is going to come by a dictator and not by democracy. They believe that because we've forgotten who we are. I see the church in our time forgetting that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. And I see us hiding. Guys, I see us hiding. We don't want to be called a racist. We don't want to be called sexist. We don't want to be called prejudiced. We don't want to be called all these things and so we keep our mouths shut. And I'm not talking about carrying placards, okay? I don't have any sympathy for that. I'm not talking about going out and storming the White House or whatever else it is that people want to do to try to make their point. I'm talking about being people of God who walk with the confidence of God based on the fact that we have been praying in a relationship with God and now we speak the truth of God. And you want to change the world? You've got to start talking the truth. Not apologizing for it, okay? Don't apologize for the truth. Speak it. I find it interesting that when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the early church uh, faced this, that to the Jews it was a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. And what does he say? We preach Christ crucified. Okay? Guess what? In the 21st century, exactly like the 1st century, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the rest of the world, it's foolishness. We are exactly where they were. And what did they do? They preached the word with boldness, and they did it because they prayed. You want to change America? You don't do it politically. You want to change America? You change hearts, one at a time, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for that, and God will bless us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you're our God. We thank you that you're right here, right now, that we have never been abandoned by you. We thank you that you hear us, that you always love us, and you answer us, even when you say no. We grant that you are our God. We admit that we are helpless and weak without you. But we believe through your power, everything you want done in our generation can be done. And every person that you want reached can be reached. Give us the willingness and the power and the sense of your presence to do just that. Help us not to forget. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.